0: All right. Come on now. All right. Laugh it out. Welcome to church. We're talking about sex. I am pumped that you're here, that you've decided to join us on this cold Sunday morning to talk about sex at Soul Sanctuary. All right. This is it. It, Maybe you're here this morning uh, because somebody invited you. So welcome here if this is your first time. Uh, we, We say at Soul that like come six weeks in a row because every week is a little bit different. And for the next three weeks, we are talking about sex and sexuality in the context of the church and in the context of our culture and in the context of the Bible. And we're we're seeking truth together. There are so many narratives out there when it comes to sex and sexuality uh, that that there has to be some degree of truth and and where can we find it? So that's the journey that we're on as a community. Now, uh, my name is Jordan. I work with our high school students Here at Seoul, and and, uh, I I have that distinct pleasure, Uh, it's my job, but it's also a a passion. And uh, we talk about sex with our high school students too, because it's important. Uh, And and like Pastor Jerry was saying over the course of the past couple weeks, that it's so quiet in here right now, I don't know if it's ever this quiet. Uh, But like Pastor Jerry has been saying over the last couple of weeks, that, that for this year as a community, we're looking to be real with ourselves, to be real with others, and to be real with God. And, and in order to talk that talk, you've got to walk that walk. And that sometimes means talking about things that the church has traditionally strayed away from. I, I don't think here at Seoul we've ever really strayed away from talking about sex. Like if you've been here for a number of years, you know that usually about once a year we're going to have a series that, that talks about sex. But by and large, the North American church in general has really shied away from this topic. And uh, we, we consider ourselves a family here at Seoul. So I uh, you, if you're new, are you just, we're just going to adopt you in today, all right? You're, you're a part of the adoptive family, and uh, I should let you know that, that we probably put like a PG-13 rating on, on what's going to come from the stage, the words I'm going to speak. So if you're new here and you got your six-year-old next to you right now, you may very well have some questions while you're walking out the door. They may learn some new words, okay? So uh, just so that you know, there is children's ministry down the hall uh, to the left, and then upstairs as well, all the way up to junior Hi, so um, I grew up in a family of four boys, all right? I grew up in a family of four boys who talked very openly about sex. And in fact, it was quite the shock uh, for my, uh, my now wife when she first started hanging around our house because around the table, we had a whole lot of testosterone and very little shame, all right? That's the family that I come from, that like so, talking about sex is something that, that that was just normal for us growing up, and and we all have our own story that we bring into this conversation this morning. You have past experiences, you have past perspectives, you have past hurts, you have, you have an ideology, a, a belief system when it comes to sex. And each and every single one of us in this place, we carry our own baggage, we also carry our own opinions, and we come to this place to talk about it together. To 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 my goal this morning is to have a dialogue and recognizing that we all come from different pasts, my desire is that the time that we spend together and over the course of this 3 week series that we can actually seek to decipher through the many voices which scream at us their own self-interested narratives about sex and that we may actually find truth together. And and I think just before we dive right into it, what's really important is that this is a three-week series. That we're not going to tackle everything today, but that you commit for the next two Sundays to being here. You commit to learning, to bringing your friends out so that they can learn as well. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you for your word. And as we look through it this morning, would you teach us more about you? Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit leads and guides us here this morning. I thank you for your love and the fact that, that you've redeemed us. And that you never turn your back on us. In your name, amen. In, uh, I was just having a conversation with Nikki in the front row here right before coming up, like, it's not every day I get this opportunity, you know, like to talk uh, about sex with so many people. I think I'm fairly comfortable talking about it in a, in a one-on-one uh, context, and uh, I work in youth ministry, and how, how can you not talk about sex almost every single day of the week with high school students? It always comes up. So, uh, It's just this public venue thing, you know, like it's a little different when we bring a whole bunch of people into a space and we talk about sex, like where else does this happen, right? Think about it for a moment. It's comedy clubs. It's pretty much the only other place. And uh, like a word of advice to to anybody who's who's, uh, planning a date, don't go on a first date to a comedy club. It's not a good idea, right? Because the comedian's going to get up there. You don't really know much about the person across the table. You're like figuring out their background, a little bit about their story. Comedian gets up there, starts talking about sex. You're like, okay, I I, I don't really know where this person stands. I don't know them that well yet. And then the comedian starts picking on people, right? And you're sitting there in the booth, like with this person you hardly know, and you're sweating like, oh my, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me, right? That's That's the other place we talk about sex in public venues. It's true. And, and so, uh, this morning, the, this conversation about sex is going to take us into a number of places. Uh, if you think this is awkward for you, just keep in mind that my mother-in-law and father-in-law are somewhere in this room right now. So, we're in this boat together, alright? But sex is something that from a young age, we tell children... Not to talk about, right? We, when, when children use words like sex or they call somebody sexy for the first time, oftentimes they are chastised, especially within the context of the church. Don't talk about that or, or that's inappropriate. Well, some parents have no problem at all openly talking to their children about sex. The truth is that by and large, conversations around sex and sexuality, which need desperately in our society need to be had, are not being had. And a couple stats to throw your way, uh, uh, specifically relating to youth. So uh, let's talk about like the onset of, of really exploring sex and sexuality for a minute. Uh, in Canada, so these are Canadian statistics, the average age when, when youth or young people first engage in sexual intercourse is 15 years old. In Canada, it's agreed upon that the first exposure to pornographic material is somewhere between the age of 8 to 11 years old, first exposure. A survey of Canadian high school students from 2014. Now think about how, how far we've come technology-wise since 2014. Uh, but this is from 2014. Uh, a third of high school boys in 2014 said that they had received a sext, which they would classify as a nude or partially nude photograph. Now, it's 2018, and I can say from my experience working with high school students, that both for boys and girls, receiving and sending is dramatically higher than one-third. And while you may not like to, or like our society or church culture, this weird thing of church culture, may not like to talk about sex and sexuality for fear of like corrupting the youth or something like that. The, the, the problem is, is that there needs to be a place, there needs to be a place where people both young And old can have open conversations about sex and sexuality. And here at Soul Sanctuary, we firmly believe that that place is the church. Historically, churches have been really good at answering questions that nobody is asking. You you have people sitting in the chairs who, who are struggling through broken marriages. You have people sitting in the chairs who are ridden with debt. And the pastor gets up and, and like talks about how to be like a good, moral person. Things that, that, that just have no bearing on, on meeting people where they're at. So here at Seoul, and again, if you've been here before, you know that, that, that we don't live by that mantra. That, that, that Here we are talking about the things that matter. Our goal is to actually dig deep, to have hard conversations, and that's what we're going to do. My goal this morning is to have some real talk and to turn the lights on in our conversation about sex and sexuality in regards to the church, in regards to our culture. We've got about 30 minutes together from this point on, and we won't be able to tackle this topic from every single angle. It's just impossible. But what we're going to do is we're going to open the can of worms, and then we're going to let your emails and questions flow in over the course of the week. And then I'm not going to be here because I'm going to Mexico next week, and I'm going to let Pastor Jerry deal with the rest of it, all right? What does the Bible have to say about sex and sexuality, especially in the context of our culture? So this is what we're going to do. This morning, we're going to look at two myths and two opposing truths about sex and sexuality in the context of the church and the context of our North American culture. We're going we're to use that kind of as our framework. We're going to explore it, and we are going to uh, we're gonna counteract each myth with the truth, but we've got to get into the myths first. So the first one that we are looking at this morning is the myth that the church seems to propagate that sex is bad. Many people, many people, especially people that that I meet and I interact with, they stay away from the Christian church because of what they believe God's attitude towards sex is. British philosopher Bertrand Russell said this. He famously declared this, that, that the worst feature, the worst feature of the Christian religion is its attitude towards sex. And this myth has gone on for a very long time. We look back into church history centuries ago, and we see that sex is bad has become synonymous with the church. Uh, the story of Origen, a, a Greek scholar, an early Christian convert and theologian. He's born around 184, the common era. All right? It is documented that in pursuit of an ascetic life, he castrated himself. Fellas, all right, like just like let this one sink in for a moment. In pursuit of an ascetic life, to be pious and pleasing to God, he castrated himself. This is a complete aside, but there's a, you like, can read uh, about origin on, uh, on Wikipedia. And there's this like, like a French Renaissance photo of this process. And now it's not safe for work, but it's absolutely hilarious. So you can do that on your, your own time. But okay, so in 354, we have St. Augustine. And uh, he's a paramount thinker in the Christian faith, an, an early church father, if you will. And, and the, 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 his writings shaped beliefs held by the church over centuries. His writings in his book, Confessions. And uh, he, he repeatedly, in Confessions, refers to sexual impulses as negative traits. This is what he says Desire is mud, all right? Desire is a whirlpool, it's chains. Thorns, a seething cauldron, an open sore that must be itched. It's out of Augustine's teaching that we get this antiquated Catholic teaching that sex is only for procreation. For a long time, the church, sex is bad, and the church, these two ideas have gone together. Some of you in here, you may have been born into the holiest mo- holiness movement of the mid-20th century, It carried with it a heavy emphasis on sexual purity. And it had this. The the, the breadth of teaching uh, throughout the Holiest New Movement on sexuality was this. It was that sex is dirty. Sex is gross. So save it till you're married. That was it. So this is no joke. At our youth camp this summer, we run a a camp for high school students called Wildlife Camp. Uh, We had a leader who, who sat down with a handful of students and he was talking with these students and just sharing the gospel with them, and uh, they had time to begin asking some of their questions about faith and and wrestling through them, and they had identified themselves as Catholic in in the course of the conversation, and so uh, these students say, yeah, well, we're Catholic, and uh, they, they... started asking questions about sex, because how could you not, right? You're trying to figure out this God thing, so okay, where does God stand on sex? And their explanation of uh, their perspective between their Catholicism and Christians, as they put it, is that the only difference between Catholics and Christians was that Catholics could have sex before marriage, all right? That That was their frame of reference. Like, obviously, they didn't have a deep understanding of their own Catholicism, obviously. But what they knew about Christians was that they were anti-sex. That was the defining, uh, the defining idea of what they knew about Christians. Some of you in here, in your youth, may have been traumatized by youth group talks about sex and sexuality. Sermon illustrations of two pieces of paper glued together and violently ripped apart You laugh because you know what I'm talking about. Or or a piece of tape stuck on a person, tore off, stuck on another person, tore off, stuck on another person, tore off, apparently symbolizing that after enough sexual partners, you will never be able to bond to one for life. Often delivered by by well-meaning, good-intentioned adults, illustrations like this have caused deep, deep wounds in the hearts of many. As a youth pastor, this is one that actually hits pretty close to home. If you're sitting in here and a youth leader ever told you that you are less lovable, that you are less worthy of love, that you are a lost cause or damaged goods because of your sexual past, I am sincerely sorry. The good news this morning is that here at Soul, we believe in a God whose love is so much bigger than our sexual past, whose love is so much bigger than our sinful mistakes, and that he has the power to redeem the lost, the hurting, and the broken. This idea that, that sex is bad has been a popular one, popular for centuries. But to debunk this myth, we actually have to turn to the Bible, and that leads us into our first truth this morning, that is, sex is created and designed by God. Sex is God's idea. It's plain and simple when we turn to the creation narrative. You can, like, open the first page in your Bible. If you've got your paper Bible here this morning, do it. Go, go right to the beginning, and we can see that sex is created and designed by God. And how do we know that? So we have God in the creation narrative, and He is creating things, right? So He creates the earth, like... Whoosh, guess that's the noise God makes when he creates things. There it is, earth, and bam, right? It's it's there, (laughs) sound effects galore. Earth, what does God say? Good, right? He creates it, and he says it is good. So then God takes the earth, takes the earth back, land on the earth, bam, creates the land, and what does he say? He says it's good, and then he takes the earth that has land, and he creates water, right? And and then he creates animals. And what does he say? He says that they're good. And now we get to where God creates man. And so what does God do? He creates man, naked man. He creates woman, naked woman. He puts them in a tranquil, perfect garden. He then commands them to be fruitful and multiply. God puts this together, right? Like this formula is created by God in the garden because then God looks at it and what does he say? Not only is it good, he says it is very good. Our God is a God who created and designed sex. Sex did not happen by accident. Sex is not like a creation, a scheme of the devil that he kind of like came up with and God was like, "Whoo, okay, and turned a blind eye to it. I'm not gonna fix that. That's not how sex came about. God had sex in mind when he created creation, when he was going about creating. Take a look at basic human anatomy, all right? Yeah, we're going here, okay? So we have male and we have female reproductive organs. And in, on, and around, these reproductive organs are like pleasure sensors. And in fact, there are organs that have no reproductive purpose, right? That antiquated Catholic teaching that we were talking about, sex only for procreation. No, that, but, but are specifically for pleasure. God knew what he was doing when he brought man and woman into the tranquil garden. That's a God I want to serve. Genesis 2.24. I told my wife I'd leave her out of this one. Genesis 2.24. Literally, turn the page after the creation narrative. Genesis 2.24, the man will leave his father and mother, will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. They will become one flesh. You don't have to read in between the lines here, all right? It's pretty explicit. There's a sexual union which will occur when a man leaves the care of his mother and father and is united to his wife. This is what God's talking about. The book of Deuteronomy, again, flip just a couple more pages. We're still in the Old Testament here. But the book of Deuteronomy contains what's known as what's known as the Deuteronomic code, all right? So these are laws given by God to the people of Israel so that they can maintain right relationship with him. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy 24:5. This is under the subheading of miscellaneous laws, but read this. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out to the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home for one year to make happy his wife whom he has taken. God designed sex. He designed it to take place between a man and a wife. And he even says, hey, stay home from war or public service for a year so that you can make happy your wife. Fellas, notice not that she can make you happy, but that you can make her happy. And in fact, some translations translate this as that you will stay home for a year so that you can pleasure your wife. Ladies say, hey, man. Flip a couple more pages, okay? Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. This book contains such explicit descriptions of sexual love that, that many Jewish boys were not allowed to read it until they reached adulthood, which for many of them was at 13. So Song of Solomon 5.1, it's up on the screen for you. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice, I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And some of you are like, this sounds like strangely Shakespearean, right? But if you read any Shakespeare, you know that the words that you don't understand are actually beautiful poems. They just took place in a different era, right? So there's this refrain, though, that we can all catch, and it just comes right afterwards. It says this, it says, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. We get that one, right? We get that little line. It says, hey, lovers, get it on. Hey, lovers, enjoy. That's what we're finding here. In keeping with our first myth, many scholars have read the Song of Solomon as a strict allegory for God's love to his people. But when we read it and we really dive into it, it reads more like a sex manual than it does like an allegory. Song of Solomon 7, 7 to 9. Listen to this one. I'm not even making this up. This is in the Bible, okay? Uh, your stature is like a palm tree. And your breasts are like its clusters. I, w- I say I will climb the palm tree. Isn't it funny? I will lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like the clusters of the vine. And the scent of your breath like apples, you know? Like Lister Green, And your mouth be like the best wine. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? See, it's not just the Old Testament that, that, that speaks of God's creation and design of sex. We look through the New Testament as well, and we can actually see that sex is a good thing, that it is a God thing. Next week, we'll be talking, Pastor Jerry's going to be talking about singleness in marriage and marriage and sex in the context of both of those and what that looks like. But let's glimpse for a moment, and, and open this can of worms, uh, on 1 uh, Corinthians. Paul is writing to the city, to the church in Corinth. Uh, and even by our standards today, Corinth was like, sexually promiscuous at best, and sexually deviant at worst, okay? Uh, Corinth is it's a port city. It's a hub of maritime trade. So of course, who do you get? You get young, single men, sailors, who are rolling into town, hordes of them, and as they show up, it's like right out of the Pirates of the Caribbean, right? They they show up, and they are just looking for sex, right? Like, just like, whatever I can do, earthly pleasure, let me find it. And that's what we have happening in in Corinthians. And and we even know that the temple of Aphrodite was, was perched on a hill in the city of Corinth so that when you came into port, you could see the temple. And the temple was a regular hub of sexual activity. And here is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, if anybody knew temptation, sexual temptation, it was people in Corinth. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul is instructing the Corinthian church here, To have sex. Not to have sex for themselves, but to have sex for their spouse's sake. Hey, God has given you this gift, he says. Use it so that you don't fall into temptation. We'll be diving deeper into into this next week. There's a lot to, to expand on in passages like this. But right now when we read it, when we look from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, we see that sex is created and designed by God. That is a truth that we can grab hold to this morning. And it leads us into myth number two. And it's the myth of our society today. It's the myth that sex is God. Malcolm Muggeridge, uh, a British journalist, he was a lifelong agnostic. Uh, During the war, he he traveled all around the world uh, doing... uh, um, Journalistic duties, news reporting, I guess. And uh, he actually found Christ later in life and then began to write about that. And, And upon reflection, he had said this. He said that the orgasm has replaced the cross as the focus of longing and the image of fulfillment. Let this sink in for a moment. The orgasm has replaced the cross as the focus of longing and the image of fulfillment. In our society today... The dominant pursuit of most people is sexual fulfillment. We are completely obsessed with it. We worship sex as our God. Our society says that that sex is a personal thing, right? That you have your own sexual priorities and that that is of the utmost importance. That you have, and I I heard this term recently, a sexual truth. And, And it's your sexual truth. It affects you and nobody else. Now, I love the internet. I love social media. It has been a blessing to me in my life. I, 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 yeah, I could spend way too much time on Instagram and Reddit. little Redditor up in the front row. Come on now. You just created a bond, right? Where was I? Yeah. When you used to be able to hush, hush a child about sex questions... Now they have the internet in their pocket, right? They go to Google. Uh, uh, One one quarter of Google searches are sex-related. So the internet has changed the scope of our society. And we put sex on a mantle. We hold it as an idol. We worship it as a god. And if you don't believe me, take one look at your social networks and you'll see what I mean. Take a look at your Instagram Explore feed for a minute. It's rife with sexual worship. Seriously, consider the overt sexualization of the fitness industry on Instagram or, or clothing industry on Instagram, and it's staring you right in the face. What used to be on the back page of Men's Health magazine that you'd have to smuggle out of a 7-Eleven, not me because I, I had the internet, uh, but when, when you were... <laughs> it's true, all right? <laughs> Honesty, yeah. Uh, but what used to be on the back page of a men's health magazine that you smuggled out of 7-Eleven in a paper bag and brought home to your buddies. Actually, I called my dad this week and asked if that's how it was so I could use that illustration. Uh, Trying to reach the older generation here, okay? But that that was a truth. Now, today, it's all in your pocket. For my generation, it was all in my pocket. Take one look at your Snapchat news stories. High school students in the front row, I'm looking at you because you know that this is true. I can swipe up on Cosmo and get daily push notifications, sex tips to my smartphone. If you read it, you will learn something new every single day because we are literally making up the craziest sex positions that do not even work outside of a porn set and we're sending them in a nice little package to your 13-year-old smartphone. In our idolization of sex in this society, we have forgotten God's plan. We've removed the sacredness of the sexual act. And it's my firm conviction, my firm conviction that we are so obsessed with the physical aspects of sex, with new sex positions and whatever else, and and, and we're, we're obsessed with the pursuit of pleasure because we are deeply broken on the inside. We live by our own sexual truths because we are running from the vulnerability of deeply knowing somebody, of being deeply known by somebody, of deeply knowing God, and of being deeply known by God. That vulnerability scares us. It leads us again perfectly into our second truth this morning, which is that sex is not just physical, but rather it's a deeply spiritual and emotional experience that actually reveals God to us. Healthy sexuality points us to God. Go back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis two twenty four, And this is what it says. The man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. In English, we have one word for love. That is love, all right? we have expressions of love, right? Like that song of Solomon that we, that we had uh, read together or Shakespeare, right? Any Shakespearean sonnet, it just like goes on for like the stanza after stanza and what's he trying to say? I love you, right? But in English, we got that word, love. Anything less than love is like and more than love is love. Am I, I, I'm bringing Lauren into this one carefully and tactfully for a moment. I, when I say I love you to my wife, she says I love you more, and then the only thing I can say back is no, I love you more. Right? We don't have a word that trumps that. Wasn't my notes. So that's a perfect illustration. Anybody watch The Bachelor in here? Come on now. No. Okay. No shame in the back row. Okay. So, <laughs> The Bachelor. I know. I know there's more of you. Okay. I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, my wife and I will flick on The Bachelor every once in a while. And we'll watch an episode, and there's something about this moment where the the female contestants profess their love to to the male contestants or vice versa, if it's The Bachelorette. Uh, The the, the producers, they set the scene, right? They're off in Mexico. They're on a beach probably having dinner, just like the table set beautifully. Uh, The music in the background is just right. Like everything about this moment is, is just perfect for the expression of love. And she like musters it up and she's about to cry and she looks at him and she's like, I love you. And what does he do? He looks at her and he's like, I like you too, but I got to keep my options open, right? Because I got three other dates this week. Or if she said it one episode too early, what happens to her? Right? She's crazy. She said, I love you. (laughs) So they've all been on two dates and they're, 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 professing love for one another but here's the thing is that the profession of love is so deep it is so powerful but it is also ridiculously cheap i love the winnipeg jets anybody else all right anybody else come on that guy bachelor in the jets man you and i we're going to get along i love the winnipeg jets we love the Winnipeg Jets. We love morning coffee, right? We love morning coffee. We love sea warmers in the wintertime. Come on. We love the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ah. I love the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hey, But we love our spouses and our significant others too, right? Like we just lump it all in. It's so powerful, so profound, and yet so cheap. But we love... And our expression of love is limited in its depth. But we look at, at Genesis two twenty four, and we look at the, the, this coming together of, of a man and a woman becoming one flesh. And when we look to the Hebrew, we find a new, numerous words for love. And a lot of other languages express love in different ways depending on the type of love it is. All we can do is say it is this kind of love. But they have a different word for it, right? And so when we look to the Hebrew, we find this word in this context, the Hebrew word dood. And it's best explained as a physical, kind of erotic love that, that, that insinuates the mingling of souls. The mingling of souls The two bodies, yes, come together to be one, but there is two souls that you can't deny that come together. You could go on Tinder right now and by tonight, with enough swiping, you could have a mingling of bodies. It's quite easy in our society to do that. But what you're missing out on in that exchange is you're missing out on the mingling of souls, the way that God designed and created sex to be. Sex as it is designed to be enjoyed within the context of marriage is a shadow to the perfect marriage of Jesus Christ and His church. Human marriage and subsequent human sexual pleasure is to show and to give a tiny glance into the marriage that we will encounter as the body of believers with Jesus Christ. It is in this that sex actually reveals to us God's goodness. And let's go to Ephesians 5 for, for, for just a minute. This is spelled out explicitly in, in Ephesians 5. Paul goes ahead and he directly quotes Genesis 2, What we what we had just read together, right? Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And then he adds this on. He says, the mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ's and his church. Uh, Pastor John Piper puts it this way. He says, The union of a man and a woman in marriage is a mystery because it conceals as a parable the truth about Christ and his church. A parable, you know, a, a story that matters, a made-up story that matters that Jesus taught in right throughout the Gospels. So it, it conceals a truth about Christ and the church. This divine reality hidden in the metaphor of marriage is that God ordained a permanent union between His Son and the church. Human marriage is the earthly image of this divine plan. As God willed for Christ and the church to become one body, so He willed for marriage to reflect this pattern. That the husband and the wife become one flesh. The idea here is that marriage is a perfect parable. It's a perfect illustration of what we will one day have as, as Christ marries his church. And I'm a reader. I love books. And I often uh, I find myself um, winding down my day, uh, kicking it in bed, reading a book, and, uh, and journaling. That's just who I am. That's my personality. And I remember uh, after our honeymoon, uh, Lauren and I had come back, and it was like our, it was our first night together in our apartment. Okay, she's sweating right now. Uh, first night together in our apartment, and this was my routine, like my whole life. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna kick it. And uh, I opened up my my book, and I had started reading a new book because I was like, oh, I'm newly married. I should read a book on marriage. And I picked up a book called uh, You Me Forever by Francis Chan. Now it's a great read, um, but I, <laughs> I thought. Um, that it would be sweet if I could, like, kick it in bed and, like, read aloud to my wife. Like, right? Like, that was goals for me because I'm an English nerd and I like to read and I like to read out loud. So I, I sat back and I opened the book literally to the first page. And I read this line off the first page and I'll never forget it. And it was the title of chapter one and I opened it up and I read aloud, Marriage Actually Isn't That Great. All right. That was chapter one. At which point she turned over to me. Seriously? You're reading that right now. Yeah, our, our, our first night in our, in our own place together. <laughs> Marriage actually isn't that great. Now, Chan's book is actually awesome. <laughs> right time and place, right? Uh, the first chapter expresses the importance of focusing on what is to come. In a society where, in a Christian society where we place so much of a heavy emphasis on marriage and subsequent sex, Chan is reminding us, guys, there is something better. There is something greater. There is eternity with Jesus Christ that far outweighs your earthly pleasures. And he continues on throughout his book that that our focus should be drawn to the eternal and not to the temporal. That we don't live in pursuit of our next orgasm. But if we orgasm in pursuit of Jesus Christ, then we'll just allow it to draw us closer to our spouse and consequently to God. And when we only pursue the physical, we lose focus of what really matters. We lose focus of eternity. Sex is a dulled down version of the delight of heaven. It's like walking into a candy store. And on your way in, you stop outside the door because there's a picture of beautiful candy on the outside of the door. And we stop there and our mouth begins to water as we ogle the the paper uh, sign on the door of the candy without even realizing that when we step through that door, we are in the candy shop and pleasure abounds. We get stuck. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that that Jesus came down from heaven fully human and fully God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross for your sin, that he was raised three days later, thereby reconnecting you to a relationship with God, that you didn't have to earn your way to God, and he gave you the gift of eternal life, so that if you believe in him, you will be with him forever in heaven. And sex serves us along the way as a signpost pointing to that greater reality. But what we have done is we trade the signpost for God. We get our blanket and we hunker down by the signpost out front of the candy store. And instead of walking through the door, we just chill. And it's a a ridiculous trade when you come to think of it. C.S. Lewis, Oxford scholar, Uh, author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He said this when it comes to understanding sex and bodily pleasure in the light of eternity. He said, I think our present outlook might be like that of a small boy on being told that the sexual act was the highest bodily pleasure should immediately ask whether you ate chocolate at the same time. So you have a small boy, he's told sex is like the paramount of, of physical pleasure, and that boy asks, Do you eat chocolates while having sex, right? Like not just on Valentine's Day, but universally. Is it like chocolate and sex? Is that related? And Lewis goes on, he says, "On receiving the answer no. He might regard the absence of chocolate as the chief characteristic of sexuality. In vain, you would tell him that the reason why lovers in their carnal raptures don't bother about chocolate is that they have something better to think of. The boy knows chocolate. He does not know the positive thing which excludes it. The boy has never experienced sex, rightly so, but at this point in life, his chief bodily pleasure is the tingle he feels on his tongue when he has a piece of chocolate. He has no frame of reference to understand that sex is so much better, so he associates sex with the absence of chocolate. We are in the same position, Lewis continues on. We know the sexual life we do not know, except in glimpses, the other thing which, in heaven, will leave no room for it. Lewis reminds us that sex is dull in comparison to eternity. That sex gets retired in the beauty of an eternity unified with Jesus Christ. Too often, though, we reject eternity and we ask, where is the chocolate?" My encouragement for us today is to remember this that simply sex is created and designed by God to draw us close to Him. That there is a God who created this world, a God who deeply loves you. Our God is not a God of rage, as He's often been, been uh, pictured, who's out there just to freaking strike down everybody who has sex before marriage. It's not the God that we serve. Rather, He would want your heart from the start. He wants to co-labor with you to build his kingdom here on earth. He desires a personal relationship with you. We look to 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. We go to 1 Timothy 2.4, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And here's the truth this morning, that no matter what your sexual past is, no matter where you came from, what you've been through, the fact is, is that God loves you, that He desires a relationship with you and wants you. He desires you to come to Him. You don't need to prove yourself worthy of Him. God is going to meet you right where you are at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. You better believe that he is going to start a journey with you, a journey of bringing you into new life fulfilled in him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And maybe you're in here today and maybe you know it's time for you to turn back to God. Maybe to return to him. Maybe you're one of those youth group victims of the sex talk that I described earlier. Or maybe it's time for you to come to God for the first time. If you're in here and you know that you either need to kindle or rekindle your relationship with God this morning, this is your chance if you feel that still small voice speaking to your heart, prompting you to respond to him, then my encouragement to you is to respond. And I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to slip up your hand and in doing so, you'll be making a declaration that you desire God and that yes, God, I need you. And yes, I want to start a relationship with you. You're responding to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ that I talked about earlier—that He died for you, and that His desires, that He desires for you to come back to Him and event and to live eternally with Him. The truth, soul sanctuary, is that Jesus loves you. Is that He desires a relationship? with you and that he's waiting for you to respond so as an act of obedience and response between you and God this morning if that's you and you know that you need to take a step of faith and say yes Jesus I need a relationship with you would you put up your hand this morning that's me I need you Jesus I need the unconditional love that you offer I need forgiveness is that you Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for new life in you. God, I thank you that you are good, that you have a plan and a purpose for the lives of each person in this room. Father, I thank you for each person who responds to your salvation that you freely offer us. And We continue right now to pray for a restoration and a healing in regards to this conversation about sex and sexuality, Lord use uh, use our speakers over the course of the number of weeks to help answer questions, to start to dig deeper into the tough issues. God, we are broken and Lord it is you that in you that we are made whole and so that's what we need this morning. Amen. And it's If you responded this morning to the gospel, here's my encouragement for you. In Luke 15, we read that every time that somebody turns their heart toward the Lord, that there's a celebration in heaven taking place by the angels. So what's going to happen is that over at this cross, uh, we're going to have some members of our our team, prayer and pastoral. They're going to be over there. And and this is all we want to do. We just want to welcome you to the family of the body of believers with a welcome to the family. High five. That's, uh, that's it. We want to pray for you. We want to lift you up and encourage you and resource you in any way that we can on your walk with Christ. So after the blessing, which will take place in just a second, my encouragement for you is that you made that decision. You put up your hand this morning. You made that decision in your heart, wherever it may have been, to come meet us at the cross. And let's talk. Would you stand with me? This conversation is the tip of an iceberg. If you're walking out of here this morning, hanging on to one thing I said, saying he opened that can of worms but never talked about it, then come back next week. This morning we lit a candle in a dark room and we're slowly making the way to each corner to bring light, to turn the lights on to our conversation about sex and sexuality. So in times of old, the one who blessed would extend their hands and those receiving a blessing would do likewise. There's nothing magical about this process. It's simply us seeing you off with a prayer. So soul sanctuary, may God, the one who created man and woman and sex, be your inspiration and your passion. May God, the one who abounds in wisdom, lead and guide your steps. And may God, the one who created and designed sex, reveal to you his deep, lasting, and eternal love. Be blessed, and we'll see you next week.